Paula Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PalaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, this is a real-world issue. Last Saturday night, my uh, wife's grandson uh, he, he's, he goes to Sussex Hamilton and he's, um, he, he sings in the choir. And so the Sussex Hamilton choir was performing down at the Pabst Mansion, which is on 20th in Wisconsin. And they divide the group and the Pabst Mansion, they decorate the, the mansion for, for Christmas. And it's, it's really a fun thing to do. It, it's, if you've never been there, I encourage you, you to do it. You really get to see that this wonderful older building and they spend a lot of time decorating all the rooms for the holidays holidays and it's very festive and on the weekends I think they bring in carolers and stuff and like I say last Saturday night it was my my grandson and my wife's grandson and um, a bunch of his fellow choir members and they were singing throughout there so we went down we, we bought tickets and went down and toured the mansion and I've, I've been there I go there every couple of years it's a great thing to do around Christmas time and it was especially fun to watch Cash sing and things like that but I, I will tell you, one of the things in the back of my mind, as we're driving down and we're parking, they've got their own parking lot behind Pabst Mansion and some overflow parking across the street. And I'm sitting there and I, I leave my car there. We, we go in. And in the back of my mind, I'm honest to God thinking, I hope my car is here when I, I come back. And, you know, I, you don't mean to be overly paranoid about things like that. But but here is here's the reality. Um, the current numbers in the city of Milwaukee so far this year, 9,794 cars have been stolen. And that's, that's probably about two days old or so. That, but 9,794. So almost 9,800 cars have been stolen. That averages somewhere around 29, let's round up to 30 cars a day. A day are stolen. All of last year, and last year was a high crime year. All of last year, 4,509 cars were stolen. So, I mean, just put that in perspective. There's no question in my mind that by the time the year ends, Milwaukee will be well over 10,000 cars stolen. It's just there is an epidemic. And again, you don't want to be paranoid about this, but I'm thinking, geez, I'm leaving my car downtown. You know, what are the odds that I'm going to come back when 30 cars are stolen every day and mine's going to be one that's gone, stolen out of a parking lot that, you know, is not a gated parking lot or anything. Now, thankfully, my car wasn't stolen and all's well that ends well, but that's in the back of my mind. I mean, is the car going to be there? And I don't think it's necessarily an unreasonable sort of situation when you consider how many cars are stolen. Well, um, Mike, during his newscast, Mike Spalding, just alluded to a, a story that uh, today's TMJ4 had on last night, which kind of puts this in perspective. All right, uh, like I say, over over 90, almost 9,800 9, cars stolen so far this year on the mean streets of Milwaukee. To give you a perspective about this, the city of Chicago... Chicago. How many total cars have Chicago has, has has been stolen off the streets of Chicago so far this year? Well, 
about 9,400. So let, let, let us put this in perspective. Chicago has had 300 more, fewer cars stolen than Milwaukee. So we're, we're not adjusting this per capita. We're just looking at the raw numbers. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, Chicago has about 2.7 million residents. Milwaukee has approximately 600,000. So Chicago is four plus times bigger than the city of Milwaukee. And yet in total raw numbers, in total raw numbers, Milwaukee has 300 more cars stolen total than the city of Chicago, despite the fact that Chicago is four and a half times as large as the city of Milwaukee. It it is mind-boggling to understand how bad this problem is. Because when I first saw that report, I was thinking, well, maybe they're looking at this per capita. Ah, they're just looking at raw numbers. 600,000 people in Milwaukee, 2.7 million in Chicago, and we've had 300 more cars stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee than they had overall in Chicago. And nobody seems to be willing to want to do anything about this. All right. Urban Milwaukee, which is a website which covers the, the city, and it's got a decidedly liberal slant to it, but that's okay. They're still doing interesting things, and they're providing coverage of issues in the city that you you don't get from the local newspaper anymore. So here's the deal. Um, Urban Milwaukee starts looking at the question of who is it that's stealing cars? I mean, who is it that is stealing cars that are out on the streets? Right now, before the newscast, I asked you to kind of imagine in your mind where these thefts are coming from. Are there adults that are doing this? Are there people in the 20s that are doing this? Are there teenagers that are doing this? Are there children 16 and under who are responsible for this? And I asked you to kind of imagine, if you had to to guess, of the soon-to-be 10,000 cars stolen this year from the streets of Milwaukee, what is the percentage? What is the percentage of kids that have stolen cars? So where does this come from? Well, according to Urban Milwaukee, of the various arrests that have been made for motor vehicle theft. Now, unfortunately, the vast majority of times when cars are stolen, they don't catch the people who did it. So we, we, we don't know. I think um, through November 30th, the numbers I have, through November 30th, they had arrested about a 1,000 people for motor vehicle theft. And as we know, we're pushing 10,000 cars that are stolen. So it's not like they catch everybody that steals cars. At the same time, I think it's a fair inference to say that of the people that they catch, my guess is they, they've stolen multiple cars. That's kind of, I think, what, what would be fair. So they've only caught a 1,000 people. But let's look at those 1,000 of the people that have been caught stealing cars. 49%, almost one in two, involved suspects aged 16 and younger. Almost one out of every two cars that are stolen involves somebody 16 or under.
a full almost 82 percent of arrests have individuals 25 or younger. Only 5.6% of the arrests were people older than 35. So uh, effectively, when it comes to car theft, four out of every five cars that are stolen, and again, you've got to extrapolate these numbers because they don't catch everybody that does it. But of the people they've caught, four out of every five are stolen by somebody who is under 25. And uh, um one out of every two is stolen by somebody who is 16 or under. 16 or under. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we talked yesterday. I, I understand the reaction that you have of some politicians is, oh, oh, my gosh, let's talk to the city attorney's office and let's see what we can do to hold Kia and Hyundai responsible for these thefts. Uh, fine, good, great. But let, let's let's deal with the reality here. You have an out of control crime problem by any stretch of the imagination, and it is largely being perpetrated by kids sixteen and under who, by and large, face no consequences at all for this. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think there's kind of a simple answer to this, but let's put it out there. What can we possibly do to reduce the number of car thefts in this city, understanding that it is a problem which is largely being perpetrated by younger people under the age of 25, four out of every five stolen cars, and in particular, 16 and younger, kids who are out there stealing cars over and over and over and over again with almost no consequence until they run from the cops, blow through a red light, and hit and kill somebody. Well, then we get serious. But obviously what we're doing right now, John Chisholm, Milwaukee County Courts, isn't working. What do we need to do to rein in these numbers? 855-616-1620, almost one out of every two. Stick around. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We have a texture that makes a great point. You know, yesterday we, we talked about the, the two older people, uh, older woman Malaley Coggs and alderman Khalif Rainey, who are saying, we, we want to pressure the city attorney's office to so- come up with, with something with the Hyundai and Kia because they're the majority of the cars that are stolen. Here's a texture. He says, you know, Although Kia and Hyundai's probably should beef up their security systems, given the statistics of Chicago versus Milwaukee, it's more of a crime issue within Milwaukee than it is a product of poor security systems on cars. Absolutely. I mean, you just, this is the staggering thing. 300 more cars stolen in Milwaukee, despite the fact that it's got one, you know, it's got one fifth of the population of Milwaukee, but we got, of Chicago, but we've got 300 more cars stolen. It is completely out of control. And as Urban Milwaukee is reporting, about one out of every two cars are stolen by people under the age of 16. And I, I gotta believe, again, that's the tip of the iceberg, because so far there's only been a little bit over a thousand arrests and we're looking at 10,000 cars that are going to be stolen. Although I do concede that I I would guess that a lot of the people who've been arrested for car theft have have stolen multiple cars. 855-616-1620. Lynn on the east side. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I had to call and I've heard you talking about this uh, quite a few times now and I've never been able to get through on the line before 
But um, back in July of 2017, um, we had just moved back. We lived in California temporarily. And actually out in L.A., I heard about the crime on my local news out there, how mm-hmm. bad the car problem was in Milwaukee. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here I'm out in L.A. and they're talking about Milwaukee. So lo and behold, I moved back in July and I'm behind one of my rental properties and I see some young people steal a bike, and I pulled up in the alley next to them and kindly told them to go put the bike back, and I wouldn't call the police. And two of them ran off. One decided to jump on my car, on my Dodge Ram truck and tried to get me out of it while I was seatbelted in and maced me and punched me out and was attempting to get in the car and steal it. And needless to say, I wasn't going to let her. It was a 12-year-old girl. And It was a 12-year-old um, girl? Wow. A 12-year-old girl. And her 15-year-old brother and their 16-year-old friend had ran off. Um, all I could think to do was lay on the horn, and I was bleeding, and I was blind from the mace. And all I could think is roll up the window because the door was still locked because the car was still running. And they got away, but um, I got a hold of the police right away. And after they went on to continue to attack two other women um, right after me, they ended up getting caught, thank heavens. Mm -hmm. But I chased her through the court system, and actually the prosecutor and the judge thanked me for following along on the case because they said oftentimes people don't. Mm -hmm. And I want to probably at least eight court hearings for this one incident. And it just infuriated me the amount of time I put into this, the amount of people in the courtroom that us taxpayers are also paying. I mean, people are losing out, losing their cars, but we're also paying out in taxes to have to have all the people that have to show up in these court hearings. Right. And she ended up getting uh, probation for a year. Mm -hmm. She this is what she got sentenced with probation for a year. She had to write me a letter of apology, which I never got. I'm sorry. I maced you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. she had to go to school with un, no unexcused absences. And time was already served while she was sitting in the juvie and juvie right. during all this court process. So she was slapped on the wrist and put back out on the street. And this was not her brother's or her friend's first time doing this, and I don't think this is the first time she was in trouble. But it just enrages me. And, I mean, I've had numerous crimes on the east side of Milwaukee. I've had the same thing. I had a car chase in front of my house probably nine months ago where they crashed into my tenant's car that lived above me, and five kids ran out of the car and the cops were chasing me. It's, hap- it's rampant. It's, I don't oh. even know what the answer is other than we can't keep slapping them on the wrist and putting them on the street saying, no, no, no. Right. Well, you know, and Lynn, and it's, I mean, in some respects, as frustrating as this is, you've you got to consider yourself lucky. Because remember that story a couple months ago, maybe a month or so ago, about the, the woman 
who confronts the four kids who are stealing a car out out of at the hotel right by Mayfair Shopping Center. A 13-year-old right. drags her out of her car. Same thing it sounds like this girl was trying to do to you. Pulls her out of right. the car, drives over her, kills her, and then drives off and is caught right. trying to change the license plate. No, thanks for calling. I mean, this is, and I really do appreciate you testifying here and following this through the court system, because my guess is most people do not do this. But what we have is people turned loose over and over and over and over again and no consequences. Look, I, I think this is easy. You you do not need to be a rocket science to look at these numbers and realize that what we are doing isn't working. As a matter of pr- the principle, the DA's office will not try to waive people into adult court for car theft. They, they won't do it. That is wrong. Secondly, they will not put pressure on the juvenile court system to incarcerate multiple car thefts. Yes, we should be sending more people people to Lincoln Hills. And before some of my liberal listeners say, well, what, we're, you know, we, we don't have enough space. Yes, we need to make a commitment to build more detention facilities, secure detention facilities to teach people that there are consequences to doing this because law abiding citizens are being victimized. They're being victimized out of proportion. If you don't think there is a problem with the way the juvenile court system works and the DA's office processes these people, again, why? We have 300 more cars stolen this year than they have in Chicago, for goodness sakes. That should be a screaming headline that tells you how bad this is. And it's kids, largely, that are doing it over and over and over again. And we should not have to wait until one of those kids jumps into a car, flees from the cops at 95 miles an hour, and hits and kills someone before we say, okay, well, now we're going to take this seriously. Car theft is a serious matter. It is a felony. People who steal cars should be treated as potential felons. They should be waived into adult court, or if processed as juveniles because of their age, it should be treated as a priority. And if they are convicted of doing this, if they're found delinquent, Yes, they should be shipped to Lincoln Hills. Yes, they should be confined. Just turning them loose and sending them back to the parents who by and large don't give a rat's rump about them anyways and don't have any control over these kids in the first place is not working. How bad does this have to get before the citizens of this community? And by the way, it's not just exclusively a Milwaukee problem because when you have these high-speed car chases and stuff, it, it's, it, it starts in Milwaukee or it's punks that are stealing cars in the suburbs, you know, who are from Milwaukee, it is a blot that spreads out all throughout southeastern Wisconsin. So it's not just John Chisholm's catch and release policy in Milwaukee County. It's much worse than that. We should all care about this. And it's time to say enough is enough before your car is stolen or somebody in your family is hit and killed when one of these 16-year-olds driving the stolen car at 95 miles an hour is running from the police, blows through a red light, and creates carnage. we got to say enough is enough, and I can't think of any better numbers to illustrate what a failure our justice system is. And I don't put this on the cops. The cops will tell you this is their frustration. They will arrest people. They will pull people over. And it's the same people over and over again who are sent through the revolving door system that is the Milwaukee County court system, many times with the blessing of John Chisholm and his prosecutors. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
So very glad to have you with us. It is that time of year again. Every child deserves the best holiday experience, and this year the need to donate toys is greater than ever. WTMJ is teaming up with Capco's Kids to Kid Christmas. If you'd like to help this holiday season, here's what you can do. Go to our website. It's WTMJ.com, and click on the Kids to Kids Christmas banner. You're going to see it at the top of the page. This year, the daytime shows, the morning news, the afternoon news, Scafidi and I, our shows are competing to see which show can donate the most toys when you donate. So what you do is you go, you click on that banner, you'll see, you know, all the different shows. You can click on my show, the Scafidi show, the morning news, the afternoon news. Click on mine if you'd like, and you can make a donation. It's really easy. You can do it through PayPal or credit cards. Make sure you click on the show, and then don't forget to join us this Friday for the final push. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, only here on WTMJ. And, and so this is one of these deals. If you can donate $5, that's great. $10, $25, 50 bucks 500 bucks you know you name it we'll take it but it's this is something we've been doing this for gosh i mean i want to say 12 or 13 years and if you've ever had an opportunity to see all the toys that we're able to collect and recognize that those toys are going to go to less fortunate kids to make their holiday season a little bit happier if and i i believe me i understand that there's a lot of demands on people um we've we've got the tragedy in waukesha and i know people are contributing generously to that but kids to kids christmas christmas has been a staple in this community and this is a great opportunity to help out so once again if you can see it in your heart and your pocketbook to do this go to wtmj.com you'll see the big banner you click on that you'll see all the different shows you can click on one of the shows click on mine if you like and then what we do is they make it real easy to make the donation and hopefully we'll be able to buy a lot of toys for kids this year it's all part of the kids to kids christmas campaign Okay, the underlying problem with a lot of the stuff going on in Milwaukee County is that we have a district attorney who is, he's one of the leaders in this this progressive movement, which is, I say that in quotation marks, which has been sweeping the country, where we have district attorneys who essentially function more as defense attorneys than they do as as prosecutors. And and John Chisholm has made no bones about it over the years. He does not like incarcerating people. He, you know, said in 2007, his goal was he wanted to release people. He wanted to use diversion. He wanted to put people on the streets, and he knew that some of those people would going to be killed, would kill people. But that still, he doesn't think invalidates his philosophy. Well, okay, tell that to all the people who are just getting out of the hospital, or the six people who died because of Daryl Brooks. And as I constantly remind people, that this thing out in Waukesha, the Christmas parade massacre. That was not an aberration. Yes, he shouldn't have been out on bail. No question about it. But but even even if they hadn't put him on a thousand dollars bail, they, they would have put him on five thousand dollars bail, which he would have probably made anyways. It, it's this is a system which is designed to put people out on the streets over and over again. And it's why Daryl Brooks is not an aberration. If this was just a one-off and some really busy prosecutor who who missed the boat on the recommendation, okay, you, you could write it off. But it's not. 
This happens on a regular basis in Milwaukee. Not maybe six people dead, but yes, people on diversion, people on ridiculously low bails, people on probation who go out and commit more serious crimes and then are turned loose to commit even more crimes. And it is the philosophy that you have. It's the philosophy that the district attorney, the newly elected district attorney in Los Angeles has, where, you know, they they have all these problems with these smash and grab folks who go in with the sledgehammers and steal hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're turned loose within 12 hours. Well, the DA thinks about charges. It's what you see going on in San Francisco. It's what you see going on in Philadelphia and other cities. And Chisholm is just at the forefront of this, this idea that we don't want to hold people accountable. We don't want to lock people up. So into this now comes Republican lawmakers from Waukesha County who are asking Governor Tony Evers to remove Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm. Now, there is a provision in state law, which if a complaint is filed, um, the governor can, under very, very narrow circumstances, the governor can, you know, remove a, a sitting district attorney. Now, as a practical matter, that is unlikely to happen. A district attorney can only be removed if to be found guilty of inefficiency, neglect of duty, official misconduct, or malfeasance in office. All right. Governor Evers, as a practical matter, is not going to remove the Democratic district attorney of Milwaukee County. It's just not going to happen. That, that's the real world in which we live in. But that doesn't mean that John Chisholm should keep his job. As I said early on in this conversation, I I think this is a clear example. If you really want to be Harry Truman and say the buck stops here, this is clearly an example where recognizing that your policies have been a complete and total failure and have led to the explosion, or at least in part to the explosion of crime, the decent thing to do would be to resign. uh, Short of a resignation, you'd need voters in Milwaukee County to rise up and to recall John Chisholm. And this is Milwaukee County. I'm not sure that voters feel that way. But one way or another, whether it's Governor Evers, a recall, or just John Chisholm simply saying, okay, my policies, we've tried them for a long time, they have failed. Is it time for the DA in Milwaukee County to go? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. John Chisholm was just reelected a year ago. He's got three years left on his term. And I think, obviously, Chisholm, who has no intention of resigning, is hoping that Milwaukee County voters won't be upset by all the out-of-control crime if they rise up and they start a recall. He's, I think, probably knows that Tony Evers, big-time Democrat, is not going to remove him, another big-time Democrat. And uh, I think he's hoping that this just all blows over so three years from now he can run for re-election and coast in unopposed once again. All those are probably likely scenarios, but it doesn't mean that Chisholm shouldn't be gone, and it doesn't mean that he shouldn't have resigned over this mess. And I guess it's unfortunate that people aren't so outraged about 
about this, that they're going to allow him to throw a, a young assistant district attorney under the bus and try to blame this on her when it's really a function of an out-of-control district attorney's office, which has decided to err on the side of releasing criminals and I think is in part responsible for the explosion of crime that we've seen around here. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, thank you. What do you think? So for someone who drives into Wisconsin every day and has family in the Milwaukee area, and even if I didn't, I would say he should go. You know, a district attorney's job is, is like the lead prosecutor, prosecutor of the district, and he's supposed to represent the people. I think he's representing the criminals more than he's representing the citizens. Well, you certainly get that idea. I mean, he, he I, now he's representing that certain subset of citizens who who want who don't want us to hold criminals accountable, who want us to come up with yeah. alternatives and are willing to deal with rapes and murders and burglaries and car thefts as a condition of that. I just think it's unfortunate that there's enough people out there that are willing to do that to allow the rest of us to become victims. I think, you know, you know, when people, when the crime happens to them, I mean, if they are left of center, they might come a little bit right and um, think twice about electing somebody like that. And certainly, I think he has been uh, negligent in a dereliction of duty. But Evers will never recall him. No, he won't. No, thank, no, you're exactly right. That, that's the that's the reality of this. John Chisholm, extremely well connected as part of the Democratic power structure in Milwaukee County, and there's no way that the governor of the state of Wisconsin, running for re-election next year, is going to upset the apple cart. And and, and I mean, candidly. This is, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this really is the type of thing that, that that statute envisions anyways. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I think if Chisholm wanted to have accountability, he'd, he'd own it and he'd end up resigning. So that, that would be option number one. He's clearly not going to do that. Um, Avers is not going to remove him. This is Milwaukee County, and I'm not sure that there's enough outrage for people to start a recall. So we're going to limp along for another three years. And for all I know, Chisholm might run again. He's, um, I think he's in his upper fifties, early sixties something like that. So, I mean, he may very well run again and hope that, you know, people are going to forget this. Meanwhile, folks are prisoners in their own homes. You come out, 30 cars a day are stolen. Um, at, at some point in time, you wonder, do you have any accountability? But this is one of the reasons why we always say that elections have consequences. Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. I seem to remember after the John Doe investigation, there was some discussions about Scott Walker removing him, but because it wouldn't look good politically, he just let it go. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, remember, we one of the things that was a priority in John Chisholm's office was that the election investigation of Scott Walker and things like that. And, and yes, that was one of the things that was tossed out. But I think the perception was that would have looked like Scott Walker being vindictive to try to remove a district attorney who had tried to take you out and it failed. Yeah. Right. So my, my overall point is I actually had a few points there, but crime is spilling into the surrounding areas and it could move into other states when you allow guys, you know, criminals to walk. So he has a, yes. So Evers has a responsibility 
to look out for everybody, not just his voting base, which is, you know, Madison and Milwaukee County. No, he has to look out for everybody. And, you know, let's play a little connect the dots here, too. If I also remember correctly, during the John Doe investigation, it was revealed that John Chisholm's wife is a big teacher union operative, and Tony Evers is an old DPI guy. I, so, well, I think they called Sam. I'm going to stop. I, I don't. I don't remember that. I honestly don't. I mean, yeah, Tony Evers used to run DPI. I, I don't. I, I don't remember any stuff about Chisholm's wife. And look, and this is this. Okay, the, there, there's no question. I think the the John Doe investigations, and I said at the time um, that was. That was chasing at windmills. That was a huge waste of government money. The way they conducted that investigation, I thought, was appalling. Here, we're going to do early morning raids in what we would call white-collar cases, something that I, I think is, generally speaking, unheard of. And it, it was troubling the way the district attorney's operate, uh, office operated. I, I admit at the time, I didn't think that was a basis for removing him from office. It just showed the bias that is is out there. Look, here here's the problem. Unless there is a recall, and I doubt that's going to be the case, nothing is going to happen. There's also some very, very well-connected politicians in Milwaukee who don't want to see anything happen. They, they don't. Their constituencies, at least some of the more vocal ones, love all this progressive stuff. No, we want to come up with alternatives. We don't want to reform bail. We don't want to hold people accountable. We don't want to put more people in jail. We just want to keep putting people back out on the streets. And unless and until... The general public rises up and says, enough is enough. We can't tolerate this anymore. N- nothing is going to happen. And candidly, not only is Chisholm not going to leave office, my prediction is if he runs again, unless somebody really runs on a tough-on-crime sort of perspective, he's not going to lose if he chooses to to run again. We get the type of communities that we deserve, and by re-electing John Chisholm over and over again, you are now seeing the fruits of those seeds that we we have planted. And unfortunately, he's not going anywhere. More and more people, though, probably are, because if you want to get away from crime, the only solution you have is to move. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, have you been following this Jussie Smollett trial um, out of Chicago? I have. It's quite interesting, isn't it? It, it is. For, mm-hmm. for people who, you know, keep... Ju, ju, Smollett, is that he was, how you he pronounce it? He was an actor, it? yeah. Right, Jussie yeah, Smollett, well, yeah. Smollett, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he... Um, he, he his career goes back. He's thirty nine years old. His career goes back to like the early nineties when he was in the Mighty Ducks. But he, he's probably most recently best known. He was in the, the, Empire. the TV show mm-hmm. Empire. Yep. And what happened was in January of twenty nineteen, he claimed that he was the victim of uh, of a hate crime. That he was attacked by people who were wearing MAGA Make America Great Again hats or screaming MAGA, and he was built. Be- up and the implication was that these were like white supremacists who attacked him and they put a noose around his neck and things like that and it got a ton of attention until police started looking at his claims and started to, to fall apart and the what ended up happening is two people like one of his personal trainers and his brother came forward and said that uh, Smollett was trying to attract attention to mm-hmm. himself and he had paid them to essentially rough him up. 
And there's also a video or photographs of them purchasing like the noose and some other items as well. So, it, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how this case turns out. And then what happened was the, the prosecutor at the time, originally they issued, um, he was indicted by a Cook County grand jury on 16 felony charges. And then the, the prosecutor at the time dropped the charges in exchange for him forfeiting his bond and two days of community service, which outraged the, the community. So so what they did is they came in and they appointed a special prosecutor. His name is Dan Webb. I know Dan Webb. You do. Dan, Webb, nice. Dan Webb was, this goes back a long time, he was the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois um, went way back in the day when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office up here. But he he's a very, very high, and he's gone on, he left the U.S. Attorney's Office, and he's gone on to become a very, very high-profile criminal defense attorney over the years. He's one of the kind of, he's one of the big wheels in the Chicago legal community. And he was hired, he agreed to be the special prosecutor in this case. And so the, the trial's been going on for about a week and a half now, and the, the two brothers testified and they've got these Instagram and they, they said hey this guy paid us this this money to go do it but the real interesting thing is Smollett hit the witness stand yesterday and he testified yesterday and today and apparently it's been high theater he just denies everything said well, I well he is an actor well he you know he he's denied he everything act. and apparently very contentious with the prosecutor today correcting him and things like that so I mean his his position is that this was not faked and that presumably the guys who said they did it are lying. It, you, you put this all together, and I mean, I'm not in the courtroom and didn't see him testify, but you put this all together and they've got all the Instagram things and they've got the stuff back and forth. And it, it certainly, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. But but who knows? I mean, he, oh, that's he true. might do a really compelling you job. You know, it's interesting. I remember when this incident originally happened and, and the police chief got a little slack because he came out and he said, well, there's all this evidence that says something different. Right. And I remember, you know, he wasn't looked good upon because he was saying the opposite of what this, well, right. It's how, how dare, how, saying, right. How, how dare, dare you, you question yeah. a? But, you how know. dare you question the, this black? And he, he's. It's no secret. I mean, one of the other issues is that he's gay. He's come out as gay, and apparently one of the things was 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 he did he have a relationship of some sort with one of the guys who allegedly attacked him? So that's that's this undercurrent of this this thing as well. Um, but it it's just fascinating theater down there as as to where this whole thing is going to go. The other issue, as if CNN didn't have enough problems with you know um with Cuomo Don Lemon who is one of their you know again another one of their featured uh, commentators Don Lemon is a close friend of Jussie Smollett and apparently it came out of the trial yesterday that Lemon was the one Smollett originally said that he would cooperate with police and Lemon is the one who apparently told him the police are starting to question your story they're my, you know, his sources through CNN tell me that, uh, that they're starting to question your story. And based on what Lemon told him, based on the information he had through his job at CNN, that's when Smollett, that's why he said he decided to stop cooperating with the cops. So you have another CNN guy using CNN resources to provide advice to, in this case, either a victim or somebody who might be a criminal defendant. Well, that just seems like, uh, you know, bad ethics <laughs> yeah. all around. Just, a it, couple but, of bad but, in, but indicators it's, it's, for it's CNN. Just, but, I mean, this, this trial, it just has, you know, 
everything. And, you know, unlike some of the other high profile trials we've talked about recently, in this case, people aren't dead. It's just a it's a situation of was this the prosecution's theory is this is a guy who wanted attention and was trying to get more money and his career was maybe kind of struggling and he wanted to get more attention and this was an easy way to do it. Um, Or was this somebody who legitimately was beaten up. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know either. It seems like the evidence is stacked against him, but maybe there's stuff we don't know. But so, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, event the uh, he, he finished testifying. I believe he is now finished testifying. And so I assume the defense will probably be resting sometime soon. Case will go to closing arguments. And maybe by the end of the week, there'll be a verdict. But I tell yeah, you, these. Yeah. I'm telling you, when it comes to the modern-day court drama, there's no shortage of that around <laughs> I'm here. I'm telling you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No question about it. Okay, when we come back. Biden, Putin, go mano et mano and mano. Who is going to blink? We discuss. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, are you looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game? Well, if you are, I've got an idea. Join me, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner, at the New Berlin Ale House. I will be there Sunday night. The event starts right around 7 with fun games, prizes, and much, much more. Plus, you'll be able to enjoy $18 buckets of Miller Lite and $4 Vizzy varieties. It's the Miller Lite Packers Watch Party with me, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. My wife is coming along as well. She's the real star of the show. For more information, please visit WTMJ.com. Yeah, I want to see the buckets of Miller Lite. I was saying that earlier. If I We took a walk down memory lane yesterday. I am old enough to remember at County Stadium, before Miller Park and stuff, there was a a period of time where you could buy a bucket, literally a plastic bucket, full of draft beer and you could like carry it around and and it was really actually when you think about it, it was kind of disgusting there wasn't a spout on it or anything what you would do is you would you take like a like a plastic cup and you'd either kind of like try to pour it in there or you'd kind of dip it in there but i'm not sure how long that lasted but i definitely remember you know double header games on sunday afternoons and watching people wander around with the big buckets of, of beer i don't think this is that kind of bucket i think it's a bucket that have a bunch of bottles of beer in it but in any event come on out find out the new berlin alehouse the packers game this sunday evening okay joe biden going mano at mano with vladimir putin here there's apparently been a, either been or there is going to be a conference call today now here here's the background of the on this and then i guess my question is going to be what do you think is going to happen vladimir putin has had a long-standing goal, and he's been in charge of the Soviet Union for, what, 20-some years now. He wants to take the Ukraine back and put it under Soviet control. The Ukraine was one of those countries that spun off when the Iron Curtain fell in the late 1980s, and it has been a, a mission of Putin to take back the Ukraine. Right now, they say that there are about 70,000 Russian troops that are are perched on the, the borders of the Ukraine. And a lot of the fear is they're getting ready to move in and take Ukraine back. In addition, there's people that are saying that the, the Russians have tanks, they've got sharpshooters and things like that, and that they're they're firing into areas along the border hoping to provoke a response from uh, fighters in Ukraine so that that can then be a justification for Russia. Hey, we were shot at. Here, we're going to move in and take over. All right. Um, back in, 
when Joe Biden was the vice president back in 2014, Russian troops marched into the Black Sea Peninsula of Crimea and annexed the territory from Ukraine. You might remember that. Um, Biden was the vice president at the time. Obama was the president. Uh, They didn't do anything about it. So I think some of the thinking is that if Putin were to move on Ukraine, Biden would do the same thing in 2022 that Obama Biden did in 2014, which is absolutely nothing. Well, the, the West, you know, doesn't want that to happen. Apparently, during this conference call, uh, President Biden is going to tell Putin, look, um, there will be severe consequences if, if you do this. We're prepared for economic consequences. One of the things that's being kicked around is that Russia might say, OK, in exchange for us not invading, we want a commitment from you that Ukraine will never be allowed to become a member of NATO. And apparently the, um, the U.S. and other NATO countries even though they don't have a present intention of inviting Ukraine to be part of that, there's no way that they will agree to it. So now you've got this deal where Putin desperately wants to take Ukraine back. And you've certainly got the Russian firepower to do it. Biden is telling him, don't do it or there will be economic consequences. You know, we'll prepare massive economic retaliation. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who's going to blink, if anyone? Will Putin go ahead and try to take over the Ukraine just like he did with Crimea back in 2014? Or can the West in general, and Joe Biden in particular, stop him from doing that? How is this going to play out? 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, here is part of the problem that Biden has, and that is that, you know, given all the other issues and given all the other problems in the world, I, I if, if Putin were to do something that he's wanted to do for decades, which is to move in and, and take Ukraine, just like they took Crimea back in 2014, I, I don't. I don't see a political will in the United States to to try to you know do anything to stop him militarily. I, I just don't see that happening. So then the question is: Is the threat of sanctions enough to stop him from doing that? And my I guess my my reaction is probably not. So it, I'm not predicting that they're going to move into the Ukraine. I'm just saying that it's a tough situation for Biden to find himself in because I don't think he has many cards in trying to stop Putin from doing it. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Gianni in Montello. Hello. What do you think? Uh, well, well, Jeff, uh, no, there, there's no reason for um, the United States to get involved with um, Ukrainian-Russian uh, politics or, or, or border disputes. So I, I think Putin, who's a very savvy and shrewd man, he's probably going to go in in, in, in February, uh, late January, and, and, and take uh, back a part of the Ukraine, which is really the breadbasket of, of Eastern Europe mm-hmm. and um uh, I think historically, you know, Ukraine has been part of the Soviet Union for for almost you know, for over 100, about a hundred years now. And so, what does the U.S. do then, what, forth, Johnny? What do you think the U.S. will do nothing. if that happens? Nothing. Nothing. 
Nothing, nothing. I think there will, there will be, you know, uh, a feigned economic sanctions uh, on, on Russia. But, you know, Putin doesn't seem to be interested in, you know, he, he let the, um, the pipeline uh, go into Europe. Um, so I, I, I don't think that um, nothing is going to happen. It's all, uh, you know, it's like the, um, you know, the, the, it, from Formosia, Taiwan. I, I mean, I, I don't think that um, the United States would, would intervene if, if China decided to take take back. Uh, well, that, no, you know, interesting point, Shannon. No, thanks for the call. No, you raise an interesting point because, I mean, that's the other issue that's out there. Of course, the the in, the interest and the ties that the United States has had to Taiwan over the decades is a lot deeper than the interest that we have necessarily in the Ukraine. That will be interesting. And that's one of the things. If Putin moves on the on Ukraine and we do nothing other than lip service and some ineffectual sanctions, you do wonder whether that would green light China to do a very provocative thing in its own, which is to take Taiwan, which, again, either one of these situations, I think, puts the world on, on a brink. I I don't think that there's any will in this United States, in the United States, to get involved militarily in some sort of conflict because Putin wants to take back Ukraine. Um, Taiwan may be a different sort of situation, but these are both problems. And the question becomes, is Biden negotiating or giving ultimatums? And is he doing it out of a position of strength or otherwise? And I think the answer is probably or otherwise. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before we ring in the new year, let's take one last look back. The 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presents History Made, a celebration of Milwaukee's first title in 50 years and the best in high school, college, and professional sports across the state of Wisconsin. Join ESPN Wisconsin's Jen Latta and Wisconsin's biggest stars on Saturday, December 18th at 1 a.m. on TMJ4 for the 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presented by UW Credit Union, Jockey, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, and Palermo pizza all right you know there's always when it comes to affairs of the heart it's always difficult to predict stuff and we we know that some people get married and they're married till death do you part and other people get married and the results really don't turn out that well well every once in a while you have one of these cases and you say hmm if if this marriage had gone ahead you know that it would not have ended well for anybody involved. New complaint about Daryl Brooks. Daryl Brooks is the psychopath who, of course, out on a ridiculously low bail, who hit and killed six people in the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre and injured dozens more. Well, that that bail that he was out on, the $1,000 bail, which everybody agrees is ridiculously low. But, by the way, the question nobody asks is, if the assistant... Uh, district attorney had paid more attention. What what would have high bail been? And it would have probably been five grand or something like that. So this is in the catch and release world of John Chisholm. Yes, a thousand dollars was too low, but it's not like they were going to come in and ask for some huge bail on him, even even if they had been paying attention, which they weren't. Well, anyhow, the the case that he was out on bail on has now been uh, re-evaluated, and apparently there's been some new charges that were issued in connection with this. Here's Here's what the criminal complaint says. Now, this is the guy who went on to, again, run down all those people at the Christmas parade. After an argument with his girlfriend... He struck her with his fist 
and a short time later ran over her at the gas station. All right, so these are the charges that were before the district attorney and the, the court commissioner before they let him out to run over all those people in the parade. So argument with his girlfriend, he strikes her with his fist. A short time later, he runs over her at a gas station. She suffered a dislocated left leg and a broken right ankle. He was, by the way, driving the same red Ford Escape when he ran her over that was seen later tearing through the Waukesha parade crowd. She told police that she believed that Brooks was going to kill her. Well, when you try to run somebody over, you get that idea. A new complaint filed Monday that alleges that while he was jailed from November 5th to the 15th, he made several calls to the woman in violation of a court order not to have any contact with her. All jail phone calls are recorded. First call was before the charges were filed. On November 4th, he calls her and tries to persuade her not to cooperate with authorities. I've come to the realization that I'm not going to leave you. You have my daughter. I know your potential. I know what you can be. I want to marry you. So he's dangling that carrot. Hey, I'm such a prize. I want to marry you. So let's not cooperate with authorities. You retract all this stuff, and then we'll get out and we'll get married. Uh, again, that wouldn't exactly be a marriage made her made in heaven. He told her he was looking at 60 years in prison, and he might die in prison. Think how bad that would make my mama feel. Think of how much pain that would be on her. This is all stuff you weren't thinking about when you opened your mouth and said, I beat you and ran over you with a car. You weren't thinking about how my mama would feel. Over the course of several more phone calls, which, by the way, are made um, despite the fact that there's a no-contact order, which shows that in these domestic abuse cases, these no-contact orders aren't worth the paper they're printed on. Over the course of several more phone calls, Brooks became more accusatory and threatening towards her. In some calls, he and the victim speak as though the victim is a third person. In one, he tells her, and he's talking to her, I hope she realizes the mistake she made. I hope she realizes what she did, and I hope she never do anything that stupid again. On another call, Brooks seems unsatisfied and upset when the victim says she told prosecutors she had been drinking, had tripped and fallen, and that he didn't do it. He says he wanted her to say everything had been fabricated in early statements. You need to learn to shut your blanking mouth. Blank them blank although I don't think he says blanks. On November 11th, the day his mother, and the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree on this one, on November 11th, the day his mother posted the $1,000 bail, Brooks called her to say that he was concerned that he couldn't reach the woman. So he calls the mom. Um, his mother agreed that if the woman did as she was told, prosecutors would have to dismiss the case. So mom is up to her neck in this as well. On November 15th, he called the woman again and berated her for not paying the bail for some blank that you caused. When she tried to say that Brooks had attempted to do something to her, he cut her off abruptly. Now, I didn't try to do anything because if I tried to do something, you wouldn't be on the phone now. That's what you're not realizing. In the second call that day, Brooks accused the woman of continuing to talk with investigators. She replied, they're sending her emails. Expletive, shut your expletive mouth. You still can't humble yourself. So if you're still talking this dumb expletive, I'm going to do it for you. Either way, you're going to do it yourself and bow down expletive, or I'm going to make you. Now, which one is it that you want? 
Brooks goes on to say the woman shouldn't be confident about protection because you are on my blanking turf. Remember that. The new complaint charges Brooks with intimidating a victim, intimidating a witness by a person charged with a felony and felony bail jumping. Um, Okay, which is, of course, the least of his problems, given that the psychopath killed six people with the car and injured dozens more. But it gives you an idea of the type of people that are coming through the Milwaukee County court system and are being released over and over and over again. We are not talking about people with no criminal records who are unjustly accused. We are talking about evil, evil people who are unfortunately being turned loose on ridiculously low bails. And like I say, even if the prosecutor had had not asked for $1,000, she wouldn't have asked for more than five grand. The mother would have put it up, and the same stuff would have happened again. But these are the type of people we're dealing with. And as far as the victim, the abused woman, turning down his initial marriage proposal, sometimes sometimes you don't know what the right answer is, and other times it's pretty darn clear. And I don't know. I, I know that there's a lot of women out there looking for guys, but Daryl Brooks, well, Daryl Brooks doesn't strike me as necessarily being a prime catch. But for anybody out there who still might be in the market, I think you're going to know where to find him, which because unfortunately Wisconsin doesn't have a death penalty, that will be behind bars for the rest of his natural life. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the things I am curious about is as as we move into on and on into the pandemic, it's how people are approaching this mentally, how people are approaching it emotionally. As we've talked about before, I I, I don't see the U.S. ever going back to lockdowns or a lot of mandates because I just don't think I don't think there's the will for that anymore. I think the majority of people, especially with the availability of vaccines and things of the like, I, I think now we're at a stage where people are figuring out how how to live with this. And so that's why I think most politicians, even if even if the knee-jerk instinct of a Tony Evers or a Joe Biden is to want to lock stuff down, I think they recognize that there's no public support for doing that. By the way, the stock market, which kind of cratered a, a week or so ago, starting the day after Thanksgiving with the report of the new variant, stock market for the second day in a row up big. Dow Jones up 501, the NASDAQ up um, 448 points. That's almost a 3% increase. And and what's driving the increase today, just like what was driving it yesterday, is the fact that we're, we're getting, that the, the belief right now is that this new variant, Omicron, is not as, it's, it's not while it might be more infectious than other variants, it's it's much milder, um, more along the lines of a cold. I understand it's not a cold, but more along the lines of that, which is what typically happens a lot of times is you get multiple variants of these. They tend to become less virulent, but th- that's what the reports are. In addition, there, there's reports that a number of pharmaceutical companies are coming closer to um, finding pills for treatment of covid that this this would be a huge breakthrough as well, just kind of like the flu, where now there's what is it, Theraflu or whatever they have, where if you're diagnosed with the flu and you get it early enough, you can take a couple of these pills and it lessens the symptoms. They're apparently getting closer to developing an oral treatment for COVID like that, which to me would would be a game changer because I think the reality is COVID is going to be with us 
for a long time. The question is, are we going to be able to do things which, for the vast majority of people, minimize the consequences of COVID? Now, COVID's always going to be, I think, a huge issue for those who are the most vulnerable, people with, again, compromised immune systems or people um, with underlying health conditions, particularly older people. But and again, while I understand COVID is not the flu or pneumonia or things like that, th- those are always concerns for older people, especially older people with compromised health situations. So I, I think the more medical technology develops things, the more likely it is that we're going to figure out ways that, at least for the overwhelming majority of people, we, we live with COVID. And that's one of the reasons why I think you're seeing the stock market up big again for the second day in a row. But nevertheless, I mean, COVID is a concern for some people. And I, I hear I, from people all over the map. I, I hear from people who are just essentially never going out of their house except for things that they, they you know, really need. And they don't intend to do that for maybe years. And I hear from other people who just are just completely over it and have never been concerned with it. And it's just like, well, whatever happens, happens. And the truth is, and I think the best response is to be kind of somewhere in between on that. In any event, businesses are trying to figure out how how to uh, how to deal with this. And particularly when it comes to entertainment venues, they're figuring out how to how to get people back, how to make people feel comfortable going to baseball games or going to rock shows or going to concerts or going to well, you know, you you name it. And there's always this ongoing debate. And one of the areas that's been particularly hard hit by everything that's gone on over the last year and a half has been movie theaters. For the longest time, movie theaters were shut down. And then when movie theaters started to open up, they really didn't have any movies to show because movie production had been shut down. So now they're, they're starting to ramp up again. Problem is... A lot of these movie, the people that make movies, a lot of them, um, it's not exclusively in theaters anymore. Now, same day some shows debut in the theaters, you can watch it at home if you've got HBO Max or Disney Plus or, you know, whatever. So you don't even have to go to the theater to watch it. So there's all these challenges for movie theaters. Marcus Movie Theater, which is, of course, the predominant movie theater around here, one of the things that they are experimenting with is that they are experimenting with offering some of their movies to, they they call them vaccine-only movies. Now, this is not applicable to the whole movie theater, but what they will do, and they've done it, I think, at two of the theaters, they pick out two movies a day and two showings of the movies, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, and they say, okay, in order to come to this particular showing, you have to prove that you are vaccinated. Okay, you, it, it's not that the theater is closed to unvaccinated people, but it's if you want to go to a movie theater and make sure that the only people who are watching the movie with you are vaccinated people, they're going to accommodate you. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, obviously, Marcus, the, the theaters can do whatever they want. This It's their right to do this. I guess I, I will tell you, given... Given the makeup of movie theaters and given the fact that, you know, you're, you're spaced out in the movie theaters anyways, and given the fact that I've got my vaccines and my booster, I, it, I, I don't, I don't care. This, it would not be something, I would have no hesitation 
going to a movie theater knowing that that somebody who might be in that movie theater is in fact not vaccinated this would not be something that would appeal to me one way or the other if it's if it's a movie i want to see and it's being shown at a time that i want to go well well that's fine i've got the vaccination card and it's no big deal but would i go out of my way to go to an vaccinated only movie my my answer would be no in part because I don't know, you're still standing in the popcorn line and you're still standing in the cold drink line with with with, with everybody anyhow. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't fault Marcus for doing that. It's great. They they have this is it's their right to do it. I'm just wondering, would this move the needle? Would would you be more inclined to go to a movie if you knew it was going to be vaccinate vaccinated only? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, movie theaters now have such low occupancy already. My wife and I have seen at least 10-plus movies in the last year. It's great. You can sit anywhere. There's no lines for popcorn. Um, order all in advance on the app. Then, essentially, no interactions with anyone. It, it's sort of nice. Well, I guess, guess unlike unless you were running the movie theaters where you wanted to get back to normal. Jeff, it doesn't make any sense. You can give it and get it regardless of your vac status. The vaccination only helps you get it, and then the severity goes down. Um, Jeff, as in as much as it would not deter you as a vaccinated person, it may attract the crowd who is not. I think Marcus is trying to bring more people back. Well, absolutely, they're trying to bring more people back, and and that's that that's great. I mean, if look, I love movies, and if it works, that's fine. I'm just trying to. To me, it's really it's kind of an interesting thing as a mindset. And again, as somebody who is vaccinated and has his booster, I. I don't have a problem going and, and sitting in a movie theater, understanding that you know two rows behind me might be somebody who's unvaccinated. I, I'm just that that the, the fact that everybody in that movie theater might be vaccinated is not something that's going to get me back there. I guess I feel comfortable enough if I'm vaccinated and I've got my booster that I, I can go out and have a, go to a movie, just like I feel comfortable going to a basketball game or going to a baseball game or going out to restaurants. Yeah, Marcus gets to do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And if it helps if it helps him sell tickets, I'm all in favor of it. Um, I don't know that I think it's going to make any sort of difference. Um, Jeff, I'm vaccinated, but I don't like the idea of segregating a society based on medical decisions. Um, well, I think you've got that there. Now, Kelly in Greenfield texts me, says, Jeff, my husband and I just went to a Marcus Theater the other night, vaccine only. It was really easy to get into. Yeah, I mean, they, you have somebody at the desk, uh, you just show them the vaccination card and you're all set. Um, it was a really nice experience. It was not very crowded. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I guess that's that's the that, that's the key thing. Is this something that's okay? Now you, we have this option, and so that's going to make a whole ton of people come back again. If they want to offer the option, I, I think it's great. I just don't think this is going to be something that moves the needle much one way or the other. And like I say, if I want to see a movie, I'm going to be looking at what is the movie and what is the time of the movie more than whether or not it, it's a vaccinated only crowd. But that's just me. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I was listening to your newscast, as I always do, yes. and, and one of those reports I could not agree with more. It is, if you... If you're looking to make an investment and you travel at all, you had the news report from the person saying that they recommend that you get like TSA pre-check. Yes, you have always said that. I, and actually, I would say spend an extra 15 bucks and get global entry because the TSA pre-check is 85 bucks. Global entry is 100 and global entry includes TSA pre-check. And what that means is if you so if if you ever travel overseas. Okay. And you've got the global entry card, which is 15 bucks more. You don't have to wait in that long customs line. You go right. There are, there's a whole separate entrance and there's a computer thing and you go in and you swipe your card and you go right through. It is. So yeah. It, that, it, it that is. That would be definitely the, worth it. The first time I ever used that, and I've used it a few times. I, I don't travel overseas that much when we've done these listener trips. Uh, the, the first time I used it, it was like, Oh my God. You know, I mean, there's this long coming back through Chicago. Oh my God. There's this line that's going to take people an hour and 15 minutes to get through. And I've just gone through in five minutes. It's like, it's like okay. getting in the front of the line at Six Flags, it, right? It, no well, waiting. It, well, and I will tell you, you know, the, the funny, so TSA pre-check, which is now with global entry, you, you have to go to, it's like customs does that. So you have to go and do an interview and you go to a different place by the airport than TSA pre-check, but it's, it, it's not that big a deal one way or the other. Um, but global entry includes TSA pre-check. But TSA pre-check is, of course, if you ever go to the airport, it's that you get to go in that other line. So here, here's my story about that. The um, oh, what about a month ago? We we went to Florida. Fran was already down there, so our, our friends. I was going to fly down and meet her, and our friends Alan and Patty were coming with us. So we were we were all going to we were going to go down there, and um, and we went to Key West for a couple of days, and it all came back together. So um, we're we're going through, and when you have TSA pre-check or global entry, what happens is when you get your boarding passes, it says TSA pre-check is printed on the boarding pass. So I get mine. Um, my friend Patty gets hers, but her husband, Alan, his doesn't come up on there. And so he was, we, we show up and I mean, he had to run for the plane because the lines to get through, we, we cruise through, he's at the back of the line and, and, and it, it took him literally 35 minutes longer to get through that line than to get through the TSA so pre-check line. So would you recommend line. that if someone's flying just domestically? And Absolutely. Is it, is it per year that you have no, to pay? five years. Every five years. It's every, okay. It's be, best So that's a great, yeah. Be, if you fly, wow. it, just, just, I mean, if you're okay. like me and you just don't like that, that inconvenience. And yeah. what it actually happened is, I think this was Patty's fault, that, cause I did this once with Fran. And I haven't heard the end of it since. I was I was booking our tickets, and when I I put the information into the computer, I I had her birthday off by one day. Oh no! And if you're, just by day, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like I think I put the thirteenth instead of the fourteenth. And when I did that, if there's a discrepancy, then the computers like match it with your TSA information and if it doesn't match you don't get pre-check so hers didn't come back with pre-check but we we caught it we went early to the airport and they said oh 
no, your idiot husband, <laughs> you, <laughs> you put put the wrong birth date down, and so they issued a new boarding pass. But app, it, it's it's the best hundred dollars if if you travel at all, mm-hmm. and you're like me and you have no patience. It's the best hundred dollars. Okay, question you can spend. for you: I'm flying to Florida in February, and I I have not purchased that. Would you just go online to purchase that? Well, yeah, I'm not sure you can get it. Well, you, I'm not sure what the backlog is. Ah, um, okay. Because what happens is you 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 buy apply it, you, you apply it or... for it, and then you get an email saying they're processing it, and then you get another email saying, okay, you have to call and schedule an appointment because you have to go down in person. Gotcha. And they take your picture and stuff. But I I, I try it because it's good for five years. And like I said, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend global entry. In the event that sometime in that five years you travel overseas, mm-hmm. it's only fifteen dollars more. Right. So you you, you might as well. That's a good suggestion for people because people are getting out there; they're traveling more. They're saying pre-pandemic levels. So yeah, I mean, why not? Why not get that done? Well, yeah, and it's yeah. Um, you know okay. Here's a text here. Um, I just did it from start to finish; had no problems. Oh, um, good. Yeah, well, right, and I get. I just don't know how what the backlog yeah. and stuff is, but it's. I mean, it's a little bit of a pain. The reason I was thinking of it is actually not just the story, but this morning they're good for five years, and I was wondering when I had to renew mine, and it, not not for a couple of years, you know. Mm-hmm, you, and mm-hmm. you can renew it a year in advance or something. But it, ours, I think, are good till twenty twenty four. But that's it. If I were to give anybody one piece of advice, just get that done. Well, unless you've got. I just have no patience for these things. And the other thing is, if you're in that TSA pre-check well, you don't line, miss your flight too. Well, well, not only that, but you you don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your computer out of the bag. It's just, it is a convenience. And I, I it, you know, and I guess I, I fly enough that maybe in a given year, I'll fly four or five times. Mm-hmm. And so you really get your money's worth out of it. So I, I, I'm i a big proponent of you it. You know, even someone like me, I fly maybe once or twice a year, not quite as much. Yeah. I think that would be worth it if you get it for five years. Five years for a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Done. And, and like I said, go, my recommendation is go the, go the global entry route. You, mm-hmm. you, 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 you go to a different place. If you get it in Milwaukee, it's right by the, um, it, it's, it's, it's a building that's on Outside, kind of by the airport. I'm going to make TSA's a little note for myself. But, right but yeah, now, I, I, thanks I, for that reminder. Yeah, I'd, say, I'd say go, and that, that'd be my advice to everybody. I'd say go to, uh, you know, go, go the global entry route and uh, do it. Somebody says you can go 38th in Wisconsin, apply in person. It's way faster. I, I did it. I just did it on the internet, and you got the information, and I had um, no problem. But again, do the global thing. That's it. The advice, see our news report. Well, it exactly. Well, especially, again, if you are like me and have no patience. But it was kind of funny because Patty and I, my friend Patty, we're down at the gate, you know, and the flight is leaving like at 645 and there's no Alan and there's no Alan yeah, and there's and no Alan. Waiting. And we're like calling him and paging him. And he's like, oh, I'm still in line because it was, oh. I mean, to the point that 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 call was making, this was a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. But like at Mitchell, we were flying out on Southwest and there were four flights leaving within a half hour of each other on Southwest. And I mean, the, the place was packed. That's you know what, what I mean? I'm flying on in February. And I, if you're like me, like I get to the airport super early. I like want to make sure that I make my flight. I get really nervous for that. Yeah. yeah. Here's somebody saying TSA PreCheck is my Christmas present oh. for my kids. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, you know, that that's it. Um, you know, um, right. Global entry is great unless you're collecting passport stamps on the way home. No, I <laughs> no, it's I don't I don't need the passport stamps on the way home. No, that that's fine. Any event, that was just one of the interesting pieces. But yes, as air travel comes back and if you're like me and you do not have you've got the patience of a fruit fly, what you want to do is you want to find ways to minimize the experience 
experience the negative pa- aspects, and that's one of them. Okay. All right. Here's a deal. This, I've been waiting. I've been saving this story to discuss it with you. I find it interesting because the, the question becomes, are we too sensitive? Here, here is the story, and this is getting all sorts of national attention. Coastal Carolina University so is a college, a college in, in South Carolina. Here's the story of what happens. There's a, a visiting drama teacher. So she's teaching a drama course, and a, a black theater student stands up in class and says she wants to, this is the student, says that she wants to connect with some non-white students. She's a new student there. She's looking to meet some non-white students. And are, are there people that this teacher knows that she should contact? So the visiting drama teacher apparently knows a number of non-white students that attend the college. And so what she does is she writes their names up on, on the board, on, on one of these whiteboards or something. And, and the idea, again, this is, okay, these, these are some people, if you're looking to contact some non-white students, these are some of them, okay? So that, that's the story behind this. The class ends, and the visiting drama teacher doesn't erase the whiteboard, just, just leaves these names on the board. So the next class comes in. And other students see this whiteboard, and it's got the, these names up, or who are all non-white students. They're, they're up on the board. All right. What happens then is a number of the students who've come in and seen this and do not understand the context of this, they, they freak out. They're, they're going, what, what's going on here? Is this some hit list that's being prepared for you know non-white students? What, what's going on about this? And so they start complaining. A committee of professors immediately investigates, and they, they find out what it was that was happened. And they send out an email explaining this. And they say, look, this, this is what happened. It was a visiting drama teacher. One of the non-white students had asked for a list of non-white uh, other students that she could you know, reach out to because she's trying to meet people, and, and this is what this was. So they send out th- this email um, explaining what what this was, and then the department heads, they write to the students who might have been upset, this in no way undermines the feelings that any of you may feel about this incident, and that the faculty is deeply sorry that this occurred. Okay, um, the visiting teacher then writes an apology saying, no matter the good intention, I want you to know that I'm an idiot and I am sorry. All right, and you would have thought this would have ended. But here's what happens. There's a, a white theater instructor, a guy, guy teaches in this class. He, he sends out uh, an email to everybody, hits reply all, and he says, I'm sorry, but I don't think this is this big a deal. I'm just sad people get their feelings hurt so easily. Are they going into theater? And his point with that is that as, you know, if you go into theater, you you gotta get used to rejection, you gotta get used to being upset, you gotta get used to looking at these things on the wall that, you know, say that you didn't get the various parts. In other words, he is saying people just overreacted to this. And I don't think we need, we could certainly explain what this was. It wasn't a hit list or anything, but we don't need to apologize to people for it because reasonable people shouldn't have been offended by this 
or terrorized by this, especially once they hear the, the explanation. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This drama professor is essentially telling students they get their feelings hurt too easily. Was he out of line? 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating, villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, text the word Christmas to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. And as we've been saying this week, we're also, again, raising money for Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. If you would like to help, we would very much appreciate it. The easiest way to do it is go to our website, WTMJ.com, and you're going to see this big green banner that says Kids to Kids Christmas. Click on that, and then you're going to see um, images for our, our four daily daytime shows, Scafidi Me, Wisconsin's Morning News, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and we've got a little internal contest to see who can generate the most in donations. Click that, and then they'll take your information, and you can donate, and we use that money to buy toys. So we'd very much appreciate you doing that. It's the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, which we're going to be doing Friday only here on WTMJ. So we appreciate your help with that regard. It, it is really just a wonderful cause. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before the break, I was telling you the story about you know what happened at this college in South Carolina. Did I mention it's a college? So you've got a visiting drama teacher, a non-white student says, you know, I, I'm new here. I'm having trouble connecting. I'd like to meet some other non-white drama students. Do, do Can you give me some names? And what she does is she writes the names of various students that she knows that up on a board. Oh, okay, that's it. You might want to reach out to them. Um, what happens is she forgets to erase the board. So the next class comes in. They see these names of, of of students of color that are on the board and people start to freak out. Is this a hit list? What's going on here? The university sends out a note saying, look, there, there's, this is, this is what happened here. It, it's not, this was a professor who wrote it. The oppress, professor apologizes, but the school goes on to say, well, we understand your concern and we're sorry for this. Into this comes a, a drama teacher, 63 year old drama teacher who says, I, I can't, you know, why are we apologizing for this? And his his general thing is, um, I just don't think this is that big a deal. I'm sad people get their feelings hurt so easily, and are they going into theater? And his point is, well, you know, if you're if this is going to upset you and you want to go into theater, get used to it because there's going to be all sorts of rejection that's going to come your way. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the teacher is not out of line at all. Maybe the students and other teachers could borrow one of the helmets for life that you talk about. Wagner's rule of life number one, which is life is tough. Um, get a helmet. Um, Jeff, I have a fix for the situation. Everyone should mind their own business. Look, 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 here's the thing. I understand why, at least initially, maybe the, these students are 
you know, upset. You, I get it. You walk in and there's a, a list of names on the bulletin board and it turns out to be a bunch of minority, non-white students. Okay. I, I, I understand it. People are going, what's going on here? Is this, what is this? But once they investigate and once they find that there's no bad intent here, they, they send out a note just saying, okay, this is what this was. There was no bad intent. I, I guess the, the need to, apologize for something that had no bad intent. That's, I guess, what the issue is. This professor, I understand why he said what he said. I guess the lesson, though, is in today's climate, especially today's hypersensitive climate, that where even though there is no bad intent, and you could argue that once the reason for this list is is explained. You know, the, the idea is you have to understand that there's going to be people who are traumatized. There's going to be people who want to go into the safe spaces. And if you simply say, I think you're overreacting, you're going to end up being the, the villain. So perhaps you're best to just kind of keep your mouth shut and watch this go on. Now, it is a fair comment to say that, okay, how... How are you going to react in the non-academic world, especially if you are going into theater where you try out for parts and you don't get them and you don't get an explanation for why you didn't get the part? Or maybe the explanation is you're not the right type. You're too big. You're too small. You don't have the right hair color. We don't like your hairstyle. We want brown eyes, not blue eyes or, or whatever. You, you do wonder how people are going to adapt to dealing with the rejection that is inevitable, especially when you go into an area like the arts. But in this particular case, the professor has been singled out. He's been ridiculed across the country for simply saying people are overreacting, which I guess tells you that if you tell people they're going to overreact, be prepared for a significant blowback that some people might describe as an overreaction in and of itself. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Back with more in just a minute.